We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This morning, um, we covered the first two-thirds, I guess, of the, the chapter, and we had to come to an unpleasant truth, a realization. God inspires Paul to list out two ends of the what we'll call the moral spectrum. On one side, you've got just terrible traits, lovers of their own selves, covetous, proud, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. One, one commentator rightly gets this burnt down to three categories. You've got a whole, in fact, he called it, he said this, he said the uh, verses two through nine is a moral sewer. And it, it's burnt down, condensed down to three overarching problems, narcissism, materialism, and hedonism. Love of self, love of stuff, love of the sensual. An ugly, ugly portrait. But then you see in Paul's example, you see that for which we strive, the kind of Christians that we want to be, or at least I hope we do, the examples of sound teaching, a solid testimony, a stated target, a settled trust, a steadfast temperament, a Savior's tenderness, sustained tenacity, and able to hold up amid Satan's trials. But the unpleasant truth that we had to wrestle with this morning is that when Paul is warning Timothy about these perilous times and the perilous days and the kind of people that he's going to um, encounter, Paul's not saying, Timothy, this is what you're going to face out there. He's saying, Timothy, these are the kind of folks you're going to face in the church at Ephesus. What do we take from that? This kind of behavior can and will be found in the four walls of our churches, in the four walls of our homes, and within the walls of our very heart. And so we had to wrestle with this question. If I look at myself using the Word of God as my mirror on this spectrum Am I more towards that which is bad, or am I more towards that which is good? Every sin that Paul lists, I'm either capable of or actively involved in right now. So are you. And apart from the movement of God in our lives, all of this is fair game. All of it. We are in serious trouble when we start thinking that something is beneath us. I could, I could never. T- Let me tell you something. I violated one of these just this afternoon. If it'll help you, I'll tell you. I cut my prayer, prayer time this afternoon short. You know why? See how the Orioles are doing against Tampa Bay. 
Now, we laugh, but I'm convicted about that. Because what did I do? I elevated something stupid. You know, I don't get a dime out of whether or not the Orioles win. In fact, strangely enough, I pay them money to buy their junk, like this lapel pin. God convicted me about that. The far better use of my time would have been to pray just a little bit longer. And I'd ask God to forgive me for that. Because I realized that in that moment, in that particular situation, I was trending the wrong way. Now, lest I stand before you an abject sinner that everybody looks down on, you've trended in some way today too. We all have. We've got to recognize it. We've got to see it for what it is, and then we've got to be willing to say, okay, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, and then forgive me for departing from the songwriter's words, fix me. Fix me, Lord. And so we've established that there's a spectrum of behavior in these last days. And verses 2 through 9 present us with that horrible example of those mired in sin that that sometimes we find ourselves in. Then verses 10 through 12 present the sterling example of Paul and the godly extreme of the spectrum. And we were asked by the Lord this morning to evaluate where we would fall. Paul was not telling Timothy this, would, this is something he would encounter in the world so much as he was telling him he would encounter it in his church. Wherever we find ourselves on this spectrum, we have two objectives. Remember this. We have two objectives. Wherever you find yourself, either trending towards the bad or trending towards the good, there are two, two um, objectives. Number one, move closer to the ideal standard of godliness. Amen. And then number two, maintain and improve upon that position until Jesus comes back. That's our objectives. That's what we're after. So we've examined the setting, these perilous times. We've examined the spectrum, and now we're going to look to the solution. We're going to look to the solution. Now, if you've read ahead, I think you know what the focus is going to be tonight. The solution is the inspired, inerrant, immutable, everlasting Word of God. I remain convinced, and this conviction goes stronger the farther I move along living for the Lord. I remain convinced that no steadfast pursuit of Christian living is possible not just effective, possible, without saturation in and obedience to the Word of God. Now, why do I even have to say that? Because there's a whole lot of Christians out there that are governing how they live based on how they feel or what other people tell them or the world's philosophies or circumstances, and the Word of God, if it finds its way in there at all, it's a dead last. And then it's only looking for something in the Bible to back up what we already hope it wants. We have no hope 
of remaining faithful and living for Christ in these last days apart from our personal investment in the depths of God's word. Hear me, hear me, hear me. It doesn't matter how good a preacher I may become one day. It doesn't matter how effective I am and how good an outline I put together. It doesn't matter how many hours I study and how much time I pray. If you don't open the Bible in your home, in your time, between you and your God, we will never grow. Again, Good churches study the Bible corporately, but great churches study the Bible individually. God didn't give the Word of God to the church. He gave the Word of God to you, to me. And then we jointly make up the church. Acts 17.11, speaking of the Bereans, we refer to them frequently. These, these Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What's that mean? Frankly, they were a higher class of Christians. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Why? Whether those things were so. Paul, I like what you're saying. I'm going to go home and check up on it, though. I will never be offended if you check up behind me. I want you to. Even if you're wrong, I will take great comfort in that you went to the Word of God looking for an answer. And we'll figure it out together. And if I'm wrong, I'll say it. If it ever happens. I'm kidding. I've been wrong many times. As we look through verses 13 through 17, we're given principles surrounding the solution to all the problems of the world. This is the sum total of what we should know in the last days. We talked about that this morning from two other perspectives. Now tonight, what we should know in the last days, particularly with the setting, the spectrum, but now the solution. And yes, I have, I think, fixed my font problem from this morning. Hallelujah. I'm still going to be as mean. Father, would you help us? Would you help me? Lord, I've asked your forgiveness and placing other things ahead of you. I'll not do it again. You need only do it once. But Lord, I do want you to help me tonight. Use me in spite of myself and speak to us. Bless your word and apply it in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I've done something a little unusual tonight. I've, for the most part, dispensed with my normal love for alliteration. Not everything's going to be. In fact, in fact, we're just going to look at some statements tonight. I've sprinkled in a little alliteration because I just can't help myself. I do have a sickness. But some things I want you to think about tonight regarding the solution. Number one, God intends we have all we need to be successful. Oh, Andy, that sounds kind of Osteeny. Just hear me out. God wants us all to be successful Christians, and because he wants us all to be successful Christians, he's going to give us everything we need to be a successful Christian. If we're not a successful Christian, it's not our fault. It's, I mean, it's not his fault. It's ours. Look at verse 17. We're going to start at the, at the end. Look at what he says in verse number 17. 
that the man of God, and by extension all of us, be what? Hmm? The man of God may be perfect. What's that word perfect mean? It doesn't mean sinless. We'll not be that till we get to heaven. It means mature, complete, fully formed. That the man of God may be perfect. What's it say? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The whole point of this section is God is saying, this is what you need to be fully successful pursuing the Christian life. God gives us everything we need. So if we're not successful in our pursuit of being the Christians we ought to be, it must be that we're not utilizing some resource that he's given us. I teach one class here at the school. I do my best to give my students all the resources they need to succeed in my class. It's, it's a pretty well-known, poorly kept secret. My class is by far the easiest class in all of Granite Christian Academy. I do that by design. If you can survive all the other classes and get to me, you deserve a reward. My, my class is like West Berlin. Everybody's trying to get over the Berlin Wall and get to my class. Brother Foster is East Berlin. <laughs> if they can survive East Berlin, they can make it to West Berlin. He softens them up for me. And then by the time I get them, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I Anybody that takes my class has to work harder to fail than they do to succeed. Right now, they know every assignment that's due for the entire month of September. And at the beginning of October, they'll have that same opportunity. They could, they could do all their homework the first week and be done. So when somebody comes to me and says, I didn't get this done, I didn't know about this, sorry, I've given you all the resources that you need. Well, what happens if somebody blows a quiz? It happens. It happens. And I, I, I build things in there that, that one bad grade isn't going to destroy you. But I try to make it to where it's easy to be successful. When we fail God, we do it in spite of the resources he's given us, not because of a lack of them. He's given us everything we need to be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God intends we have all we need to be successful. Well, I just, I'm not good at being a Christian. I'm never going to be. Okay, then that's on you. It's not on God. Second thing. We're going back to the beginning in verse 13. We must be ever aware of the danger in which we live. I was talking to somebody before church tonight, somebody who recently visited a large city, a large city that is quite the contrast to withful, to bland, to Austinville, to Saltville. No, I'm not talking about Roanoke. 
if you go to a big city, you find that there's a lot more peril. Um, traffic alone is much more perilous. We live in dangerous places, and sometimes we forget that. Um, periodically, I find bear scat in my yard. I've yet to actually see one in my yard, but I've seen evidence of a bear. All that does is, make, is remind me, you know, I could run into a bear at some point. Is there not evidence all over this world of the danger in which we live? If you don't see it, I would go so far as to say not only you're not paying attention, you're willfully ignorant of it. Because it's everywhere. Look what it says in verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving, this is interesting, and being deceived. They're being deceived themselves. And it's just going to get worse. And we hear things like that, and I say things like that, and, you know, it almost sounds like, oh, well, I guess we ought to just try not to do anything for God then. It's just going to get worse. And, well, preacher, you know how it is. It's just going to, no. The darker it gets, the brighter the light of the gospel shines. I think now more than ever we have an opportunity to see God do what God does. I'm not at all downcast by that, but I should be aware of the truth. If you're in Christian education, you know that there are people out there that have ambition to take over what we do. Those of you that homeschool, you know that it's getting harder and harder to do something really basic, and that's educate your kids. There are people that are against that sort of thing, and it's just going to get worse. But Andy... We've got a Republican governor. So what? Doesn't matter. Well, that's all right. We get Mr. Trump back in there all this. No, it's not. I'm not saying that there's not preferences as to who our president is, but I'm just saying it's not going to change human nature. And it's going to get worse, and we need to be aware. Parents, for the sake of your kids, you need to be aware. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What does circumspectly mean? It means to look all the way around. Those of you that go paintballing, you walk circumspectly, don't you? Because they could be anywhere. You look all the way around, and yet so many Christians just have blinders on, looking at whatever they want to look at, and they have no idea what's going on around them. We must be ever aware of the danger in which we live. So what do we do? How do we combat this? What's the solution to this? Be fixed on the Word of God. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
be fixed on the Word of God. First of all, you need to be learning the Word of God. What's it say? It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast what? Learned. There's a lot of Christians out there that make no effort to learn anything. We mentioned this Wednesday night. If you want to harvest the fruits of the Word of God, you need to be willing to work for it. God's Word is free, but it's not cheap. And there are so many Christians that are satisfied to live in blissful religious ignorance. And they can quote you some well-known scriptures here and there, and they can list off some spiritual platitudes, but they don't know this book. I'm telling you, it has gone beyond a burden for me. I am absolutely consumed with the idea that this church be fully biblically literate. That we know what the Word of God says, and if we don't know, we know how to look for it. We know how to study it. My job, my holy calling, my sanctified occupation, if you really look at it, is to make you need me less and less. Now, there's always going to be a role for the pastor. The Bible prescribes it. But if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I am preparing you for when I'm not here. One day, when I'm 70, 35 years, you've had enough of me. Maybe I've had enough of you. I don't know. And I say, y'all, it's been great. I sure do love you. Wife and I are going to Florida. And you've got to find a new pastor. I fear for churches that seek God's will concerning a new pastor, but don't know their Bibles. These teenagers... I was sitting here right here during that special tonight. I was sitting here thinking, Brother Davies, when you came here, those two girls were squirts. And now they're not. And before we know it, driver's licenses. We've got several in here now that are now getting their license or their learners or whatever, and I'm struggling with this. Because when I came here, you were all squirts. This chair that we used to keep under the platform, under the pulpit for little kids to sing specials with their family, none of you need them anymore. What are you, Isaac, six, eight? It's not going to be long before you're the leaders of this church. 
And if this church has any shot at all, you need to know your Bibles. You're going to get married, not necessarily to each other. Who knows? you got a long time to worry about that stuff. Amen. i got a 12-year-old. Amen. I've got at least 20 years before we got to worry about that stuff. At least. Hey, remember, Vody Balcham said about dating, dating is like shopping with no money. There's only two possibilities. You're either frustrated because you can't have something you want, or you end up taking something that doesn't belong to you. I just threw that in there for free. I haven't, I haven't whipped out my, date, my dating whip in a long time, so I just threw it out there, okay? Some 12-year-old, I'm in a relationship. Oh, stop it. Relationship. I'm married, and I don't really have a relationship. We're just, <laughs> we're just married. We're just married, and we love each other. I don't know what kind of relationship that is, but I'm enjoying it. Wasn't a save. I knew what I was doing. Zach will text me in a minute. Isn't Zach supposed to be in church? Anyway. Oh, they're an hour behind. Um, my point is this. You, you're going to have your own kids here before long. Whether I want it to happen or not, it's coming. You better know your Bibles. You're going to answer for your faith at your job. You better know your Bibles. Learning the Word. You know what else you need to do? You need to live in the Word. He says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. That word continue is the same word we see pop up in a lot of John's writings, the word abide. Live in it. Scott Pauley, that's his favorite thing. I'm just living in the book of Mark right now. I'm just living in the Bible. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be living in the book. Amen. Then you've got to be leaning on it. Let me give you these. You've got to be leaning on it. Look what he says. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What's that mean, has been assured of? These have gone from being informational to convictional. I am convinced that the word of God is what it says it is. I am convinced that this is the depository of truth. I am convinced that this is what I need to live this life right and get to the next one. I'm, I don't understand everything that's in here, but I am convinced that it's right about everything. I'm leaning on the, how do you know you're going to heaven? I'm leaning on the book. That's all I got. How do you know you're bringing your kids up right? I'm leaning on the book. How do you know you're pastoring right? All I can do is lean on the book. He says, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Learn the word, live the word, lean on the word, love the word. What he keeps on saying, verse number 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's been infused in my life since I was a child. Can you say that? 
I hope you can. Well, I can't say that. Okay, then infuse it in your kids' lives. Both of my children, I held in my arm and rocked them, reading them Proverbs. Well, they're not old enough to understand any of that. The word is quick and powerful. If God can't reach an infant, he can't reach anybody. He made him, didn't he? And it certainly isn't going to hurt. And we have tried to infuse the word of God in our children's lives all the way through. And it is my prayer that they'll infuse it in their children's lives all the way through. And you know what happens? You come to love the scriptures. God intends that we have all that we need to be successful. We must ever be aware of the danger in which we live. We must be fixed on the word of God. Here's the last one. You ready? It's my clicker. Never lose sight of what we have in God's word. I counted it up one time. The number has changed since then. At the time, I think I had in the neighborhood of 43 copies of the scriptures. It's much larger than that now. I have different, different kinds for different reasons. Some of them I use for word study. Some of them I use for archaeological information. Some of them, you know, different Bibles are set up in different ways. But all of them have the same thing in common. They're all miraculous. There's two things we ought to be doing with the Word of God. We ought to be meditating in the Word of God, but sometimes it's not a bad idea to meditate about the Word of God. I've had this Bible... going on maybe 30 years, now 25. This Bible, a long time. I just retired a Bible. I, I don't preach out of it much anymore. I still have it in there. There's a picture of me holding it in college. I had the opportunity to preach in college one time, and I'm holding that Bible, and it sat on this pulpit many times. This Bible's a leather-bound miracle, y'all. There's no book like it. The Quran doesn't get it done. The Talmud doesn't get it done. The Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, they don't get it done. The Book of Common Prayer doesn't get it done. The best hymnal in the world doesn't get it done. This book and this alone is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Never lose sight of what you have in your lap. Boy, it's not a sin to, to use digital means to read the word. I do it from time to time. I, I'm not, I don't see that as wrong. Now, if you have a problem with using your phone to read the Bible and you know, finding a reason to, you know, to play some game while you're doing it, don't do that. So I'm not, I'm not being stupid here, dumb, sorry. Boy, there's just something about a book. 
There's just something about a book. Verse 16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He's talking about this. I got a new Bible not too long ago. I didn't need it, but I got it. And it's so, it smells so wonderful. That leather, the ink on the pages. But that's not what makes it special. It's these words. Never lose sight of what we have in God's Word. Why? Well, first of all, I'm coming back down. I need this. It's perfect. When it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, let's break that down real quick. Those in my Bible class, this is going to be old news for you. All Scripture. Scripture comes from the word graphe, which means writings, means words. And so when you see that phrase, all words, all Scripture, it gives us a wonderful doctrine called the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. What that means is all the words are inspired and every word is inspired perfectly. Now, what's inspired mean? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What's the Greek word for that, Isaac? So I'm sorry, what now? Theopneustos, very good. I might give you a point on your next quiz. <laughs> Theopneustos literally means God breathed. This book is the very breath of God. It's perfect. So what do we take from that? All the words and every word was breathed by God. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 121. It's perfect. You know what else it is? It's profitable. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. What's profit mean? Profit means you end up with more than you started with, right? I just feel like a poor Christian. Then get in the Word. Get some profit. It's profitable. But I want you to know also it's pervasive. It covers... Everything. Well, there's just some things the Bible doesn't talk about. You're telling me there's some issues in your life, there's some areas of your life that are outside the purview of the Bible? I beg to differ. Because yes, it says it's profitable for doctrine. What's doctrine? That's what's right. It's profitable for reproof. That's what's wrong. It's profitable for correction. That's how to get things right. 
and is profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's how to keep it right. So what in your life doesn't fall into one of those four categories? I need to know what's right, what's wrong, how to get it right, how to keep it right. I'm telling you, in everything in your life, this book covers it in precept or principle. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about television. No, it doesn't. And because of that, I can't tell you it's wrong to have a television, but I can tell you it's wrong to watch things you ought not on it. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eye. I can tell you it's wrong to be addicted to it. Well, I'm not addicted. Fine, then get rid of it and see what happens. I found out I'm quite the addict. I'm doing this intermittent fasting. It is not working fast enough for my for my liking. But you know what I found out, Brother Josh? Fasting means just that. I'm not allowed to have anything. I was thinking I was fine eating a diet, a diet popsicle. Nope. I was messing up everything over a diet popsicle. If I'm going to mess up a fast, then I need a chicken leg. You know what I found out? You, know, you look at intermittent fasting. I mean, I, I can eat all. I eat, you know, pretty pretty well in eight hours, and then the next, you know, sixteen. Nope, you fast for sixteen. That's bad on days like this. You know why? My fast starts at seven o'clock. I seriously considered wolfing something down right before the service, but then I can't preach. So guess what I can have from now until eleven o'clock tomorrow. I want you to feel bad for me. Ready? Water. I've been doing this two weeks and already nothing. I guess it takes time. You know what I found out? I'm addicted to a whole lot of things because they're not around anymore. Paul said, I'll not be brought under the power of any. Bible doesn't say anything about cigarettes. Nope, but it says a whole lot about enslaving habits. By the way, that includes overeating. Guilty. Hence the intermittent fasting. I'm saying there's no answer that's not here. It's pervasive. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for, in- for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine, Lord, teach me. Reproof, Lord, touch me. Correction, Lord, turn me. Instruction in righteousness, Lord, train me. Then what happens? that the man and the women of God be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What do we need to know in these last days? The Bible doesn't just have the answers. The Bible is the answer.